Well, we are kicking off a series. We have been preparing this really the last year. For those of you that are guests, we know there's lots of guests, whether online or at one of our physical locations. And you've been hearing about, man, the beginning of the year, Church of the King is doing this series called Extraordinary Living. What is that? Every year during this time of the year, we do something called a spiritual growth campaign where we teach six messages on the weekend. Number two, I write a devotional. I sure hope you guys can pick one up. If you do not have the resources, we will give you one. I want to put in everybody's hand one of those devotionals. And number three, we get in a small group together. Something that happens, life transformation takes place in a small group. And I'm very fired up about this particular series because the book of James, I call it this, the New Testament book of Proverbs. James writes this letter to encourage first century believers. And he talks about some real practical topics. By the way, a lot of times people that are particularly new in Christianity, they don't realize how practical the Bible is. The Bible in this particular, what's called an epistle, it's a letter. It is a letter written by James to encourage his first century church and it's a letter to encourage them in very practical things like how to, how to go through trials with grace. Here's a big one. Week three, how to control the tongue. Boy, that's big. James likens the tongue to starting a forest fire. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of y'all have ever started a forest fire in your home through what you've said? Yeah. James talks about that. James talks about how to endure hardship, how to live with purpose, how to navigate relationships, how to walk in faith, overcome temptation, and more and more and more. Let me give you a little bit of background. There are two prominent figures in the New Testament. There's others, but two big ones called James, named James. Number one, the first James not the one that wrote the letter, not the one that wrote this epistle, but the first James, James, the brother of John, one of the first original 12 apostles that you'd call disciples. He didn't write this. This was written by the half-brother of Jesus, James, but the first guy, very powerful figure. The Bible talks a lot about the first James, the most probably the most popular James. He was part of that inner circle with Jesus, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. One of the big 12. I mean, powerful guy. Matter of fact, James was one of the first Christian martyrs, the first apostle. He wasn't the first Christian martyr to be martyred, but, but he was the first apostle to actually be martyred. We read about that in Acts chapter 12. All right, that's the first James. That's not the one that wrote this epistle. So who's the one that wrote this? This is actually, this is great biblical background. The first James, one of the original 12. This is the second James. This James was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we don't realize that, that Jesus actually had siblings. And he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Maybe it's because he was so bothered by Mary comparing him with Jesus. Well, Jesus cleaned his room. Nah, nah, nah. How'd you like to grow up with a brother without a sin nature? Come on, just raise your hand. He's terrible, right? Matter of fact, if you read the Gospel of Mark, 
James was part of the crew that, that went there. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It wasn't until after, listen, it wasn't until after the resurrection. Now, let me just stop right here and let me just posit this thought. Sometimes we get really upset, really mad because, you know, we have loved ones that, that get, you know, they really misunderstand us when we give our hearts to Christ. We start walking with Jesus. Don't freak out about that. And I mean that. You're actually in good company. How would you like to be the Messiah, the one was sent by God to die for the sins of the world and his own family members, apart from Mary, they didn't, try, they didn't believe he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. As a matter of fact, I remember when I got saved. My brother told me, his name is Keith, he's a Christian now, but I, I remember him telling, Steve, whatever you're into, you're into it. You're going to be back. Back to what? Back to remember, not remember what I did the night before? Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? What am I going back to? I'm not going back to anything. The reality is, if you are a new believer in Jesus and your family doesn't embrace us, don't freak out. They'll see the life of Christ in you. Now watch what happens. The half-brother of Jesus. Remember, two prominent James. One, the first one, part of the 12. That's not the one that wrote this. This is the half-brother of Jesus. After the resurrection, the Bible says this. Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Here's what we read. After that, after what? After the resurrection, he, that's Jesus, was seen by James. That's his half-brother. And then by all the apostles. He sees his brother. It's like, you were, you are the Messiah. You were resurrected. He saw him die. He knew about the cross, but now he sees him resurrected. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Your family will see the resurrected Christ living through you. They'll see the change in your heart. All right, now, on with this. So, the first James, the one that didn't write this, the first James, James, the brother of John, part of the original 12, the first James, guess what he became? He became actually the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the first James. Acts chapter 12, we read that he was martyred by Herod, the first apostle, not the first Christian, but the first. Matter of fact, the first person we read in the Bible that was martyred was named Stephen, the first apostle that was martyred, this James. Matter of fact, I remember when my mom told me this, I named you Stephen James. I said, I hope that's not prophetic. <laughs> first, two, first two dudes in the Bible got killed for Jesus. Come on, are y'all with me? Some of y'all get that later, but anyway, so... Anyway, here's the point. The first guy, not the one that wrote this, James, he was the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He got martyred. Guess who became the second pastor of the church at Jerusalem? It was James, the half-brother of Jesus that wrote this. He becomes the second pastor. Isn't that amazing? And guess what? As he was leading, persecution came against him. Persecution came against the first James, martyr. Persecution was coming against the second. And here's what was happening. Watch this. These early Jewish believers in Jesus. Remember, all the first Christians were Jewish believers in Jesus. The second group that started believing were Samaritans. The third were the Italians. Come on, Italians. Y'all were the third ones that got it. All right, so all of these early believers. James is writing to these early Jewish believers in Jesus. Watch this. They're being persecuted for their faith. And they're geographically starting to be scattered. And spiritually, they're starting to drift. Starting to drift in their faith. Drifting 
is both subtle and very dangerous. Those of you that have spent time at the beach, I know all of you, I'm sure, have been in the water at a beach. And it's so subtle, isn't it? I have four children. When my three older ones now were younger, I, I had a friend in high school that almost drowned, and it really marked me. And I'm, I was always super careful, still am. I know the power of those waves. And trust me, if you've ever seen that, you're, there's just a sobriety about that. Of course, to enjoy, but yes, also to be careful. And, and so my wife and I, we kind of made up this thing where one would be on the, on the beach and then the other one would be, you know, with the kids. And so my, my kids, we went out and so right, there's mom, there's mom. All right, everybody see mom, they're on the beach. Okay, let's go. So we're playing. I'll never forget this probably 10 years ago. I don't know, they were probably... Maybe it was 12, 15. They were probably 8, 9, 10. They were all three. They were a year apart. And, and uh, the older ones. And I'll never forget, probably about after an hour. I remember one of them said, Dad, where's Mom? I mean, you know, Mom didn't move. And we just absolutely, totally clueless. We didn't realize we had literally drifted probably 300, maybe Maybe at least 300 yards down. Mom was over there. Mom didn't move. We had drifted because of the water. Can I tell you something? James was actually writing to Christians that didn't realize it, but they had drifted by the currents of culture. I I was shaking hands with people after our Christmas Eve services. And it was so wonderful. I, I love that time. If you ever have a chance to... Go to one of our Christmas Eve services at Church of King. It's a, it's a wonderful time. And family and friends together. And I, and I saw some people that, quite honestly, I've not seen the last couple years. And, and Pastor, we've just, man, we got so much, going, so much going on in life and so many things. And, of course, we all know the challenges the last three years. We've all experienced it. And, and, I, and one of them actually used this term. Pastor, I've just, I've just kind of drifted. And oftentimes we don't know when it actually starts. Maybe it's because of a decision of not being around the body of Christ. Or maybe it's not being in the word of God. Maybe our language starts to drift, our conversation. Maybe we start exposing ourselves to. But yet, James gives us good news. Watch this. We can actually fight the drift and get back on course. How many are grateful with God's help we can get back on course? How many are grateful for that? Man, we can get back on course. So here's what I'm going to do the next six weeks. I'm excited. I'm going to be teaching all the messages. We're going to be looking at the book of James. Now, here's how it works at Church of the King. I teach the book of the Bible probably two, maybe three times of the year. I do do topical messages as well. If you're a guest here and you've never been to one of our services, maybe you're watching online. I, I will read most verses I won't go deep into every verse. There'll be some verses I'll unpack much more. If, if I went verse by verse and unpacked the Greek and behind every word, we would be here not six weeks, but six months, maybe six years. And so there's great, valuable Bible studies. You know what my real heart as a pastor is to equip you with the word, but ultimately to get you hungry to go deeper yourself so that you can be, according to Acts chapter 17, a noble Berean, that you can dig into the scripture. All right, you guys ready to jump in the word? Say yes. I want to talk to you today about what it means to live an extraordinary life through going through one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of James. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I want to talk to you today about four principles, 
for living the extraordinary life right out of James chapter 1. Principle number one, extraordinary living starts with an authentic, with an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Extraordinary living begins, it starts with an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, you hear the word extraordinary, right? And you hear different pastors and different people, speakers, even secular motivational speakers are talking about, you know, dreaming big and living an extraordinary life. And good term, extraordinary, above the ordinary, right? Out of the norm. That's actually what the definition means. Out of the norm. It's, it's not mundane. There's nothing mundane about the word extraordinary. It's above and beyond average to live the extraordinary life. But for the Christian, it's counterintuitive. Where the world, the secular culture, that doesn't have a biblical worldview, they would say, if you want to live an extraordinary life, you've got to go for it. For the, for the follower of Jesus, the first step to living the extraordinary life is not going for it, it's actually surrendering. James chapter 1, verse 1, James says this, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, here it is, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, notice what James didn't say. He didn't say, James, the senior pastor of the first church of Jerusalem. Why, why did he say that? Because someone that lives an extraordinary life according to God's term, it's not about your accomplishments. It's not about what you've achieved in life. By the way, it's, faith is not about your position in life in the sense of what pecking order. It's not about what you've done. It's actually, it's about, it's about something different. What does it mean to, to have faith? What does it mean? It's not about what I've achieved. Faith is actually about whom you belong to. Faith is about who purchased you on the cross. When Jesus Christ came to live on this earth, we talk a lot about this at Church of the King because the Bible talks about who Jesus is. And he came to live and, watch this, live a sinless life. Then he died on the cross and he purchased. Everybody say purchased. What did he purchase? With his blood, he purchased you and I that trust his work by faith. Then he was buried and he rose again. So, so to live the extraordinary life, number one, it, it's not about going for it. It's actually about surrendering to Christ. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Somebody said to me one time, Pastor, you know, uh, my, my Christianity is, is very private. I said, it's impossible. You can't have a private faith. You can have a personal faith. Matter of fact, your faith is personal. When you receive Jesus, you personally receive Christ. When you stand before God one day, you personally will. But between you receiving Christ and you Standing before Christ, it's, it's, it's this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Come on, y'all remember, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Paul said it this way, you must publicly declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. If you declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? Everyone say it, say What does it mean to be saved? It means to be forgiven of your sin, washed by the blood of Christ. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So... When you receive Christ, you become born again. You, you begin, watch this, that first step to living what's I, what I believe it's called an extraordinary life. 
I remember when I gave my heart to Christ, December 28th, 1987. And I want to just say this for all of you, because we know that throughout this series, we'll have so many guests here. I say this very respectfully for those of you that are just maybe new in Christ or, or maybe just checking us out. Uh, I, I believe that people should go to church. I believe there's great value, and hopefully you're going to a Bible-teaching church. But just going to a church doesn't make you a Christian. Now, I'll say this. Hopefully you go to a church that teaches who Christ is and Christ the crucified one, he was buried and rose again, and you can put your faith. Hopefully you go to a church that teaches you how to become a Christian, but the act of just going to church, well, are you a Christian? Yeah, I go to church. Well, that would be like saying, I go to Chipotle, I'm a burrito. <laughs> that was funny. I don't care if you laughed or not. That, 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 was, that, was, that was good. So in other words, if you go to church, hopefully you can meet Christ there, but not just the, it's not just the act of going to church. It's when you, it's do you receive Christ when you hear about Christ at church? Number one, if you want to live an extraordinary life, the first step to that is actually a step of surrender. In other words, it's give, and this is hard. Oh, this is hard. It's actually, in the sense of it's tough, it's actually giving up the steering wheel of your life and giving it to God. Saying, God, you, you steer my life. It's called surrender. Yeah. Pastor, I want to live an extraordinary life. Number one, James would say, surrender to Christ. Number two, the second thing that we learn here, if we want to live an extraordinary life, is an extraordinary life is a tested life. James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren... Counted all joy. Remember, he's talking to people that have been scattered geographically. Watch this. And they're drifting in their faith. Why? They've been persecuted. They've been pressed on. He said, my brethren. He said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Most people, listen, would probably find this verse a little bit concerning. What do you mean it doesn't make sense? Why, why am I going to... I'm going to be happy when I fall into challenges? The Bible, the New Testament, uses the word trial and test interchangeably. And when you go, James says, when you go through challenges, when you go through tests, when you go through trials, you can't choose the trial necessarily, but you can choose your attitude in the midst of the trial. In other words, it's your perspective on that trial. If you get mad at God, bitter at God, why am I going through this? If you have that attitude and you see yourself as a victim, you'll get bitter. But if you see yourself as somebody who knows Christ and, and, and that you're in life and life can be a let me tell you, these trials in life can actually be tests to show you your progress of faith. What is a test? A test is a progress report. It's a progress report of how you're growing in Christ, of how you're doing in Christ. Are you becoming? I think part of the challenge for us is when we hear the language test and trial is we superimpose that over the lens of our con contemporary culture where we evaluate life so much on outcomes, so much on accomplishments, and not so much on what we're becoming. Life is not so much what you do. Of course there's things that we do, but it's what you're becoming. If our target is on what we're becoming, are we growing in Christ-likeness? 
Not so much what we've done. Are we growing? Are we developing? Are we maturing in God? So a test. Are we mad about the test? James says, my brethren, count it. In other words, decision. You've got to make a decision when you're in that trial. How am I going to see this? Am I upset? Am I mad? Am I going to compare my life with somebody else? Am I going to say, why do they have it, not me? Trials come. Maybe it's a difficult boss. Maybe it's a challenge with a teenager. Maybe it's a financial situation here. Maybe it's even a health challenge. In other words, how, how, do, we, how do we gauge that? How, what is our perspective of that? If your perspective of that is, this is a bad thing, I hate this thing, life's not fair, your response will be different. Or if you see this, you know what? This is part of life, and this is a litmus test. This is a progress report. This is something to gauge, am I growing in God? One of the greatest testimonies to a broken, fallen world is that if your world falls apart, you don't on the inside because of the resurrected Christ on the inside. How many are grateful for the power of God? That's why I go to great lengths to try to tell people that come to church of the King, when you come to Christ, doesn't mean all your problems go away. It means you have power to be able to navigate through those problems. It means you have the wisdom of God to be able to, to grow through those, to be able to make decisions. But don't ever tell somebody, come to Christ, sign up, sign up for Jesus. All your problems go, no, you'll have power to overcome, power to, the word overcoming, what it anticipates, there's something to overcome. You go over, you go through, you, you, you navigate, but you have new power to be able to go through that. I am, as a pastor, always grateful to see people that apply the word to their hearts. And it encourages my heart to be able to see all of you, all of our locations, when I meet somebody I, and I hear your story, and I hear about what God is doing in your heart. And, and sometimes I'm challenged, sometimes I'm inspired. Because we all have a tendency to want to compare our little challenges. And how many know when your challenges, and I say this very respectfully, I know they're relevant to everybody in all their lives, but sometimes when you see somebody with real big, big, big challenges, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to be grateful for what I have, not for what I don't have. Uh, there's a lady in our church named Ann. And she's a wonderful lady. I've been her pastor probably close to 20 years. And, and um, Anne's daughter was born with severe special needs. And she's been, I've been her pastor for a long time. Matter of fact, when she came to Church of the King, she was a single mom with a special needs daughter. And I, and I would see Anne come to service and, and the struggles, and she wanted to hear the word. By the way, that's why we go to great lengths. We've, we've actually got teams that are trained and even parts of our campuses, not all, but a lot of our facilities are, are trained with people to be able to, to help and because we want to be able to help parents in the struggle the most that we can do. The, the most that we can do. And, and I saw Ann and, and I would see when she would come into service on the weekend and, and, I, and I know it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And I want to say that to all of our parents with special needs children. It's, we, we, we pray for you. We're, we want to do everything we can to help you in the journey. Ann tells a story about one time she was at a hospital and she looked around and she realized all of the kids that were challenged. But not just the kids, the parents that were challenged because they were in a situation like her, dealing with a special needs child and, and, and wanting to keep their faith up and wanting to keep their home and hope up and to, to be able to figure out how to normalize life. And, and she, she really felt prompted. She could have made a decision. She could have made a decision to be bitter in life, but, but she didn't. She made a decision to become better as a person. 
And she made a decision to make the place of her pain the place of her mission. And she found out about a national organization and she said, I want to do that locally. Baskets of Hope. And she now runs an amazing nonprofit and it's incredible what she does. And, and the concept is when, when families come into hospitals, because she spent so, many, so much time, if you have a special need child, you spend so much time in a hospital and, and the medical world going back and forth. And, and, and she, she, they do these baskets and she's got teams of people. As a matter of fact, she partnered this last fall with it, even in Baton Rouge with the LSU football team. And, and if you see her now, she's, she's got, and she's always had such a, a joyous smile. And she, she made a decision. It doesn't mean that she doesn't go through, through tough times, but she, she made a decision in the midst of that. She made a decision, I'm going to make, watch this, my task, don't let this be a slogan, but she's made a decision that her test was actually going to become a testimony of God sustaining grace. She chose joy. I, I don't know what situation you're going through right now, but I know you have a choice. James said you have a choice. If you, if you lose the power of choice, you become a victim. She had a power to choose as a, as a free moral agent. She said, you know what, I, I'm going to choose Joy. Number one, if you want to live an extraordinary life, number one, it's about submission to Christ, surrendering to Christ, giving the steering wheel of your life over to Jesus. Number two, it's learning to choose joy in the midst of your test. Number three, extraordinary living requires patience. The lost art of patience. James chapter one, verse three. I love this. I love this verse. Knowing that the testing of your faith <clears throat> it produces patience. Can you guys imagine as a pastor, you know, we put up billboards, you know, and we try to let people know, you know, different message series. And I, I just, I, and it's not the only way that a pastor can do it on the weekend. Sometimes people just, every week is just different messages. That's fine. It's just my style. I guess I just like I'm very concrete, sequential. I like linear thinking. It's just how I'm wired and designed. And, and so we do series, four-week series, six-week series, sometimes more. And, and um, could you imagine, just for a moment, if we put up a billboard or if we put out social media ads, come to Church of the King. We will be doing, in January, a six-week series on learning the art of patience. It'd be packed out, right? Not. I mean, who wants to be patient? Come on. That's why we have a microwave, right? We don't want to put it on a, I mean, to put your flame, you know. No. We want the best quality food that takes one minute to heat up. I mean, why everything, right? Drive through this, quick this. I mean, it's like, get your oil change in 30 seconds at this place. Matter of fact, we'll change it if you just look at us, your oil. I mean, and yet, I don't think that we can circumvent or go around producing patience. I, can you imagine somebody that walks into the gym, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, they got a picture of Dwayne Johnson. Do y'all know who that is? It's look like me if I took my shirt off. But anyway, so, all right, I'm sorry. It's a pastor. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. Just 
Google after church. Okay. Oh, here's a better one. That's how I used to look in high school. But anyway, so can you imagine somebody that goes into the health club and go, one month, it's like, what's up? 30 days. We, we want everything fast, but we don't realize that it requires growth requires something. I mean, 2023, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and fast and believe God. I'm going to read my Bible for one week. Mm, there's a requirement. It produces something. But, but when you have it and you grow in it, it actually produces something. Again, remember what I said on the outset. Here's what I said. We put such an emphasis on outcomes. We put such an emphasis on what we're doing. We forget the process of what we're becoming. We're growing. James said it this way because they were upset. They're being persecuted for their faith. They raised their hand. They got saved. They filled it out. They text the word decision to 822-822. But, but they didn't realize that you're going to go through things, through things in life. Just because your sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit. Now you have the opportunity, yes, as you, as you apply the word of God in your life. But, but when I look in my Bible, there's, God's not growing anything instant. He's growing. He likens the life of the believer to an oak tree. You ever see one of those majestic oak trees? You go to City Park, it's just an oak tree. Yeah. Here, here's one of the things I, I know. Gifts are given, but fruit is grown. James says, knowing the testing of your faith produces what? Everybody say it. Patience. There was a girl, I was shaking hands after, and she got, I said, uh, I said, where were you last week in church? You know, I just, right, she goes, Pastor, I was at a wedding of a friend of mine, you know, and, and, uh, and she said this to me, and I, and I knew there was, there was some disappointment in her heart. She goes, Pastor, I'll be honest, I'm not going to another wedding of another friend unless I'm wearing the dress. <laughs> and it was a little funny, but I know there was some hurt on the inside. I saw her about a year after that, and it was like something had just changed in her. She, she was still single at the time. And, and she goes, you know, Pastor, what I realized, I was despising the season that I was in. See, if you don't understand the season, it's a season of growth. God is doing something on the inside. Let me just say this. God wants to do something on the inside of you before he does something on the outside of you so that when you get the thing on the outside, it doesn't destroy your life. The thing on the inside holds up the outside. Everybody say patience. What situation are you in right now that you're frustrated with? James chapter 1 verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work. Let it. You have a choice. You can be mad. You can be frustrated. Let it. Let patience work. Let the character of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And as you dive into the word of God, let the word of God, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. Perfect doesn't mean sinless in the Bible. It means mature. Complete, lacking nothing. We have a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. To let the process take place. Let God work. Number one, Pastor, I want to live the extraordinary life. How, how do I do it this year? I want to do it. Number one, it starts with surrender. It doesn't start with grasping. It actually starts with letting go. Number two, the second step to living the extraordinary life is, is understanding perspective Amidst trials, count it all joy. Number three, it's allowing 
the patience of Christ to develop in your heart. Number four, in conclusion, we'll pick up here next week. I love this last one. Pastor, I want want to live the extraordinary life. Number four, how do I do it? God gives wisdom to those who seek him. James chapter one, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Pastor, what is wisdom? Let me tell you what wisdom is. Live, wisdom is simply living life from God, with God's perspective. How many times in a marriage situation, how many times in a parental situation, how many times in a business situation, you're making big decisions, how many times, I'm going to say this, I know it's a double negative, how many times do we not, not consider God's perspective? How many times? How many times do we just run ahead and all the while we have the wisdom of God at our fingertips? All the while we have prayer. We can call out to God and God will speak to us. And God will talk to us and and God will encourage us and God will give us wisdom. James James is telling. James, the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, he wrote this in AD 49. He's telling these believers they're drifting. They're drifting because somewhere, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but somewhere they started considering life from their own perspective. They started making decisions from their own perspective. Oh, I don't think they started out that way. I think they started out with a fire and a passion. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe the first of the year that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start church. We're so honored to have you here. And you're, you even you look back and then where did it start? I don't know where the drift. I, I don't know where the drift started on that beach that day. I, I don't know. I was just we were just kind of going about our day, but we ended up way off course. Maybe that's maybe that's where you are. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, we can ask God. We can ask God. We can ask God. Look at James chapter one, verse six through eight. Last few verses. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For your doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You ever felt like that your life lately? You ever felt like your, your faith, your life back and forth and back? Let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let me qualify something right here. I don't think it's appropriate to say that Christians never have doubt. There's times when I doubt, but I think it's, I think it's clear to say that Christians' life should not be marked by doubt. James must have spent some time on the Sea of Galilee. He must have seen those boats going back in the wind and how they're tossed to and fro. James said, don't let your life be tossed to and fro. Has your life been tossed to and fro? You ever seen somebody on a boat? You ever been, have you ever been on a boat where the boat's going back and forth and back and forth? You know what happens to a, if you're on a boat that goes back and forth and back? I'm going to tell you what happens. You get seasick. And let me just tell you something. If you've ever been seasick before, it's not fun. You're actually praying for the rapture. (laughs) Or anything. Just cease this existence. It's terrible. How did it happen? I'll tell you how. You got knocked back and forth. And I say this very respectfully as a pastor. And I say this kindly to everyone. I think there's a lot of Christians that are spiritually seasick. They've been exposing their mind to things and their... 
their eye gate and their ear gate to new age teaching, teaching that, that teaches things that are antithetical to scripture. They're, they're, they're not according to sound doctrine. They're opening themselves to new age movement and things and things that are not godly. They don't have God's perspective. They're, they're, they're listening to the podcast that people are getting one with nature. I don't want to be one with nature. I want to be one with Jesus. I'm not looking to be one with nature. I can appreciate nature. I mean, the Bible talks about when the creation worships the creation. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. We, we worship. We worship God. We have the privilege of the word of God in our hands. We have the privilege of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers in Jesus. And James says our lives, it doesn't mean we won't go through trials. So what have we said today? Number one, here's what we said. If we want to live the extraordinary life this year, number one, it doesn't, it doesn't start by grasping. It actually starts by surrendering to the one that created you, the one that made you, the one that loves you. His name is Jesus. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Number two, what have we learned? The testing of our faith. The Christian life is not a test-free life. It's not a trouble-free life. But in that test, we can't choose all of our trials, but we can choose our perspective. We can choose our attitude in that, like Ann did. Number three, it's producing something in us. And number four, we can ask, Lord, I don't know what's going on. Ask. So I'll finish with this today. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart to Christ. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads right now. Maybe you're watching us online or in a home somewhere. Maybe it's one of our correctional facilities that we're broadcasting live into. Maybe you're at one of our campuses right now and you've never fully trusted Christ. Maybe you've even gone to church, but yet you've never really put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Let me be clear. I can't save you. Church of the King doesn't save anybody. The only thing I can do is point to the one who saves. His name is Jesus. And here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's not mad at you. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came to this earth not to condemn you, but that you may be saved. But you've got to open your heart to Jesus. You've got to call out to him. In just a moment, the count of three, I'm going to give you an option and an opportunity just to lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. You know who you are. You're not where you need to be with God. Or maybe, maybe you drifted away and you want to come back afresh and resubmit your heart to Christ. Surrender freshly to God and say, God, I've drifted, but I'm coming home. Right now, right here, I'm coming home. I'm coming back to you. Wherever you are, whatever location you are, those that are watching online say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I want to be at peace with God. I want to call out to the Lord. If that's you, one, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high so I can see it. God bless you, man. God bless you. God bless you right here. God bless you and you. God bless you. Wow. God bless you. God bless you up at top. God bless you. God bless you. Every single one of you. God bless you guys up front. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. God bless you, man. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, church, can we pray with those that are trusting Jesus right now? This is the most important prayer they'll ever pray. This is a holy moment in the service each week. Let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart 
a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life and I put in your hands. From this day forward, I belong to you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. Wow, what an amazing message. And if you made the decision to follow Christ today, congratulations. This is the best decision that you will ever make. And we're celebrating with you. Absolutely. You know, the Bible says that the moment you give your life to Christ, that you are a new creation. The Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come. And we are so excited and just beyond honored to get to walk alongside you as you start your brand new life with Christ. Yes, and we would love to share with you some more resources. So go ahead and click the link on the screen or in the chat where you can give us some more information and share with us your story. And hey, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while now. Well, let me encourage you with something. As we begin and continue this new series called Extraordinary Living, maybe right now is the perfect time for you to step out and bring someone to service with you, invite someone, maybe the person that God's been laying on your heart for a while now to reach out to, to check on. So pray about, think about who God would have you invite to service and see what God will do through the power of a simple invite. And to everyone, we just wanna say thank you for joining us for week one of Extraordinary Living. We hope to see you back here next week for week two because we believe it is going to be so powerful. But listen, we love you guys. We'll see you next week, same time. Same place. Have a great week.